It's the Book and Film Globe Week in Review podcast. I am Neil Pollock, the editor-in-chief of Book and Film Globe, and your host on this journey through the worlds of books and film and streaming TV and broadcast TV. We cover all kinds of TV. There's so much TV. We never stop watching TV. We also read books and we go to the movies. This week, we're going to talk to Stephen Garrett, our chief film critic, who is in France. He's in Cannes. And he is seeing many movies. We're also going to talk to Paula Schaefer about this year's broadcast TV upfronts. There's still lots of people who just watch TV on an old antenna or basic cable. And there are still shows that the broadcast networks put out to try to find an audience. And we're also going to talk to our contributor, Matt Hansen, about Barry, which is on HBO. Well, it's not HBO. It's not TV. It's HBO Max. But Barry, starring Bill Hader, is in its third season. And people who are very high-minded and like HBO programming like Barry a lot. And Matt will be here to talk about it. But first, Stephen Garrett dials in from France, where it's late at night, where he's talking to me. And it's the middle of the day where I'm talking to him. But regardless, movies are on the table. We'll be right back. We are a very sophisticated international podcast. We send our film critics all over the world to see movies. Stephen Garrett is no longer watching movies in the United States. He is in France. He's in Cannes. Cannes. He's at the Cannes Film Festival, which... Con. Bonsoir. Bon, bonsoir, Stephen. Comment ça va? Salut à tous. I see. You go, You know, you go to France every year. <laughs> your French still sucks. Thank you. <laughs> you figured you'd, you'd pick it up at some point, but that's okay. Most of the movies are in English or, or, or have subtitles. But unlike the Sundance Film Festival, you know, they're actually showing movies in France. And uh, Stephen, it's the second year in a row you've gone. And he is here with me today to uh, report from the French Riviera. I mean, humble brag, this is not the second year I've gone. This is actually the 30th year that I've gone. I first went in 93. Second year in a row, because it was obviously, it didn't happen. Oh, well, that's true. It got, it got hiccups. It got hiccups. But, you know, there wasn't, a, there wasn't an actual festival in 2020. It was canceled. Right, exactly. So you actually go back to, you actually were there when Pulp Fiction screened it at, at, at I wish, actually. So I was here the year of the piano and uh, Farewell My Concubine and Naked um, and other movies like that. Uh, Far Away So Close, things year. like that. It was, a, it was a great year. And that's what kind of hooked me. You know, if, if that's your first year and you think, I mean, the very first film I ever saw in Cannes was Naked. And I thought, holy crap, man. If this is what this is, the Mike Lee movie, the Mike Lee movie. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. It's sort of his signature, one of his signature films. Yeah. That's a very good movie. And that's 93. And so I thought, Oh, I gotta, I gotta go next year. And so I was absolutely intending to go next year, but I did not uh, submit my, my vacation application at work in time. And so I missed Pulp Fiction. And, you know, oh. after that I rude, I, I, I promised, you know, I would never go hungry again and I would go every single year. And I have basically since 96. Every every year that they've had a festival, I've come since '96. Right on, and so so you're there this year, living it up. Uh, what have you What have you gotten to see so far? 
Boy, I've seen Italian movies. I've seen Russian movies. I've seen French movies. I've seen Top Gun Maverick. I mean, you know, they really have uh, high art and lowbrow mainstream and everything in between. And uh, I think it's part of the kind of the charm of this festival is that it has very Catholic tastes, which is to say they're very thirsty for high water celebrity. And they're also very thir thirsty for kind of like, uh, you know, prestige respect when it comes to uh, things like that. They also really want to have political relevance. And so, you know, I, I thought the funniest thing was the opening night film, for example, which opened with Michelle Hazanavicious's uh, movie Coupe, which was a zombie comedy, which actually was supposed to be at Sundance. And then he pulled it because he wanted it uh, to debut at a festival with an audience and not just streaming. Because when Sundance kind of went everything streaming, he pulled the movie. And then by, by Against All Odds, it's opening night film at this black tie event. And it's a zombie comedy with lots of blood and, and pissing and, you know, shit jokes and diarrhea and vomiting. But the point being that after the, you know, during this hour long opening ceremony where everybody, you know, has these official, uh, you know, statements and these proclamations of the beauty of cinema, they throw to uh, a 10 minute statement from Zelensky, you know, talking from the Ukraine about, yes. you know, how uh, dictators. Oh, we're going to win. We're going to win this war. I saw that and I was like, OK. Uh, That's great, yeah. and then and, and uh, you know up, up, up next, you know it's 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 Vice President Kamala Harris. Yeah, you know, I know. It's, it's like what are we doing? It's, it's really it's like you know you know uh, uh, Zelensky, God bless him, working his ass off to save his country, should not be giving messages at the Grammys and at the Cannes Film Festival. Um, although can, you know, it makes it feel like it's a more of a political event and there is a little brouhaha. Right. But then, but then after that, but then he, then he, so he gives this serious speech and then they show, and then they a, show zombie a zombie comedy. comedy, which incidentally the original title was Z, but then there was pressure to change the title because they felt that that was, you know, too much of, uh, too close to the Z that the Russians have adopted and put on their tanks in their fight against Ukraine to destroy Ukraine. So Z is like politically incorrect to name a title that. So they changed the title for that. All right. Well, Coupe, the uh, Michelle, ha Michelle Hanavicious, you said? Is that, I just want to pronounce it. Hanavicious. Yes. Hanavicious. Yes, yes, yes. And he won, of course, he's Oscar winning Hanavicious because he, he the artist, best director and also best best film for the artist. Yeah. But, um, you know, that was, uh, that was Tuesday it opened and then Wednesday was Tom Cruise Day and they had Top Gun Maverick and they had an hour long kind of homage at Tom Cruise where they showed a, like a 15 minute uh, montage and then they interviewed him on stage for about 45 or 50 minutes. We'll talk about Top Gun Maverick next week because it opens wide right. in, in the States. So we're going to, we're going to hold off on that, but there are, there are a number of other high profile films at, at, at con uh, this year as well. There's a, I saw a trailer today for a, a new George Miller wacky George Miller comedy that's open, <laughs> where Idris Elba plays a genie who comes out of a lamp exactly. at a market that looks that that looks uh completely bonkers it looks wackadoo yeah 3,000 years of longing and uh in keeping with its bonkers uh you know look apparently a, a topless uh, woman screaming at the top of her lungs uh, crashed the red carpet and uh had the word scum written on uh, the small of her back and she was quickly escorted away as Idris Elba and Tilda continued on the red carpet. So uh, we'll see. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm seeing that tomorrow morning. We'll We're living large there. Yeah. <laughs> Another film um, that is opening, you said you're seeing it uh, on Sunday, although by the time this airs, you will have seen it and your opinion will be, will be secured is men 
the new Alex Garland movie starring Jesse Buckley. Now, I have a review of Men up on the site today. I saw Men, not at a film festival, but at a theater in Austin, Texas uh, at 1030 at night on a Thursday. And I I have some opinions <laughs> about, <laughs> about Alex Garland's Men. You know, it's like this... Um, it's a folk horror movie, right? So it's like in the grand tradition of folk horror, someone from the big city goes to the countryside and encounters an ancient evil, essentially. Well, and incidentally, can can you clarify that term? For, for me, folk horror basically means like British movies <laughs> about like weird country British folk who are creepy and have weird ancient rituals, right? Not, not necessarily. Well, like the Wicker Man is full car. Wicker right? Man, exactly, yeah. Or I guess Midsommar is. Midsommar is, is you know, is, is a Scandinavian. You know, there are other – so basically it's like, you know, there, there is sort of a Southern Gothic tradition of full car too, where you, know, where you, like, you, you can encounter, like, movies about voodoo right. kind of quali- qualify as full car. It, it's kind of like ancient things that have been – paved over by Christianity and other forms of modernity come right. back to haunt the bourgeois basically. <laughs> and, and so, so this movie men, um, Jesse Buckley, who really, you know, she's a great actress and she gives, she gives it everything she's got. She's, she plays a woman uh, in rather desperate circumstances who suffered a personal tragedy. And she rents this house in this British country village that is, I don't know, there, there's like some kind of um, ancient green man figure who lurks around. And she has a, she, she has a, um, a metaphorical, metaphysical experience that involves um, men. Right. All of right. whom are played by the same man, male actor, with various forms of prosthetic teeth uh, in his mouth. Um, and it, it's very weird. And it's the last third of it is just a spectacularly hilarious gore fest of just like, (laughs) I mean, you're talking like midnight movie mania. There's no way this is going to be mainstream. It is, it is, it's not, it's a little creepy. It's creepy and it's a bit scary, but mostly it's just gross and weird and kind of confusing. And my problem with the movie is that it, you know, Midsummer is such a great movie. Um, because it has such a compel, it's such a compelling story, you know, and it, yeah. it's, and the narrative you just drags you down this path of dread one stage at a time, whereas men is just dread from the beginning and dread until the final shot, and there's mm. and, and it doesn't the plot it's like a, a dream sequence, like an like an hour and forty minute dream sequence yeah. almost. Yeah. It's pretty tough sledding, I have to admit. Yeah, it's interesting. It seems like a tough sell. Uh, I it's not. I mean, I like Alex Garland. He makes some pretty trippy movies. Um, but this one, just from the start, uh, just didn't really seem to take grab my imagination. And the teaser, and then the trailer. I mean, it was funny because the trailer I watched, and I was kind of like, huh. And then uh, I watched it in a movie theater, and it was so funny. It's just a great reminder how fun it is to watch trailers with an audience in a theater because you're getting people who don't seek out the trailer. You're getting just random people who are like watching it for the first time and their their reactions are like hilarious and the trailer is like lots of lots of sound lots of images 
And that's because that's the movie is a lot of sound and a lot of images. There, there's no, again, there's no story. You know, Alex Garland's, you know, his last two directorial efforts, one was uh, Annihilation, which was a very trippy sci-fi movie, but it had a plot and it was, yeah. and it was based on a, a very popular book by Jeff Vandermeer. And then before that, Ex Machina. Yeah. And, and yes, Ex Machina. I don't know why it, it, that faded for me for a second. And, you know, Ex Machina is, is a really excellent, sci-fi movie and the book the movies he's written you know sunshine which is a sort of a movie about yeah uh, 28 days later face space and then 28 days later one of the scariest movies of all time and the beach was his is his screenwriting debut that's he, right he, the beach yeah. these are all movies with you know sort of beginnings and middles and ends and um and and men is i mean next time we talk you could be like oh my god i saw men i loved it I have fantasies about like Jesse Buckley's weird haircut and her uh, screaming and crying all the time, but it's probably I not going to happen. I mean, I look, I, it's why I bring up the trailer thing. Cause like we're watching the trailer, the whole audience. And again, it's people who aren't like seeking it out. They're just watching it because it's a trailer in front of the movie that they're about to watch. And it goes through its whole motions and it's weird and trippy. And then at the end it says men and the audience burst into laughter. You know, they're like, what the hell is this? <laughs> like what? Men? It's going to be meh. Meh. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I will see. I don't know. I, I haven't, I'm, I'm going to read the review after I watch it because I don't want to spoil it. Yeah. The, the, the review is, is basically spoiler free and there's not, there's not a lot to spoil. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm interested to hear your take on it. And then, okay. So, and so you're seeing men and then what else have you got on the docket there at, in, in the France? Oh, we got a lot of fun. Well, I mean, you know, like just a quick recap of what I've seen so far, like uh, in, in 30 seconds or less. You know, the, it's funny. The festival also loves to, um, you know, promote uh, great filmmaking and preserve filmmaking. You know, even before the opening ceremony, they had a, a press screening or a regular screening of The Mother and the Whore, which is Jean Eustache's like 1973, you know, nearly four hour movie about a menage a trois, which could not be more French. And was packed, of course, because people like love it. With people having menage, menage a trois either before or after or during. Right, right. And also, uh, the next day, there was a, like Marco Bellocchio has been around for about 60 years. The guy's well into his 80s. And he had a, like a five-hour, well, it's a series on um, Italian television. And these were the first five episodes of this. Aldo, uh, what's his name? He's an Italian politician in the 60s who's part of um, the... Um, Christian Democrats or whatever. But I mean, that's very typical of uh, can. They love political, they love political stuff. They love political biopics. They love directors who have played the festival for decades and are in their eighties. There's another one actually, Jerzy Skolomowski, who's, you know, 84 uh, Polish filmmaker. He's made some great stuff. I don't know if you ever saw the shout from the seventies with Alan Bates as a guy who can kill people with his scream. <laughs> oh, okay. Yells at people and can kill them. Um, also made a fantastic movie called Moonlighting with Jeremy Irons as, you know, uh, about uh, illegal Polish workers renovating a uh, townhouse in London. So the guy's got chops. And he made this movie called Eo, which is uh, about a donkey. It's basically Oazard Balthazar remade for uh, the, the 21st century, basically. But, you know, it's just you're following a donkey around. A 21st century donkey bears the burdens of humanity movie? Basically, yeah. Yeah. Eow. I actually love Ohazard Bal Balthazar. You know, it's like it's the best donkey ever on screen. So <laughs> I got the reference is what I'm saying. Yeah, no. And I think you might you dig it. But, uh, you know, I think he exploits the donkey just as much as everybody else in his movie because he's just using it for an excuse to kind of hang a lot of trippy uh, cinematic sequences, which are delightful and weird, you know. There's a Russian film called Tchaikovsky's Wife talking about the 
the poor uh, put upon um, woman who married the uh, the gay uh, composer. And basically, it's a lot of scenes of her suffering while Pyotr uh, Tchaikovsky wants to like go hang out with the boys, you know. Um, beautifully, sumptuously directed by this Russian yeah. filmmaker, and but you know, a bit of a bore and a bit of a drag. Is there good, good music? Very little music. Anytime you hear Tchaikovsky, as people are humming it. Um, you know, there's a, actually a really uh, pretty solid movie called The Eight Mountains, which uh, is by a Belgian husband and wife team who fell in love with this Italian book called, the, you know, Le Otto Montagna. Um, so they said, let's make a movie of this book, but we've got to honor the text by doing it in Italy with Italian actors in Italian. So let's learn Italian and then write the script in Italian and then shoot it in Italian. So kudos to those guys. There's Armageddon Time, which was probably the starriest thing so far, which is not saying much because it's James Gray. Uh, James Gray's kind of like semi-autobiographical look at him growing up in Queens in 1980. Uh, and it's got Anthony Hopkins as this like kindly, um, you know, grandfather and Anne Hathaway and Jeremy Strong or the boy's parents. And um, yeah, I, I, I read about I read about that today. That sounds that sounds like a, a movie I would like to see. Yeah, it's actually it's it's pretty good. I mean, it feels slight in the moment, but then I found myself, you know, deep in conversations with people afterwards. Uh, and fantastic, weird, you know, kind of head turning plot twist is that a not minor character is Fred Trump. Yeah. In the movie, <laughs> Donald Trump's dad, All right. who has three or two or three scenes at least in the movie, which are hilarious. So, you know, it's been it's been interesting so far. It's been interesting. But I'm looking forward to, let's see, uh, the crazy George Miller tomorrow. Uh, Ruben Awesome's Triangle of Sadness, which is his follow up to The Square, which won the Palm Door a few years ago. Crimes of the Future. The um, new David Cronenberg movie. Yeah. And after that, Moon Age Daydream, which is a two and a half hour documentary that, that Brett Morgan made of um, uh, David Bowie. Right. So, um, you know, there's there's definitely stuff on the docket that is very exciting. It's a rich banquet as usual. Stephen, have a, a great, feast. And don't forget men. Men. I can't men. wait. I can't wait to find out more about men. What what are these men? Don't tell me about these mysterious creatures. They're, they're, <laughs> men, are, men are terrible. We are men. We are terrible. Stephen, have a good time there in France, and we will talk to you soon. A bientôt. time when the network upfronts and the news of show cancellations and renewals and new shows was the cornerstone of the entertainment calendar. That's when people would know whether their careers were living or dying. Uh, it's not so much the case anymore, even though the network upfronts were last week and there were a lot of cancellations, a lot of new shows announced. It just kind of passed on by in a wisp because that's not how the TV business works anymore. But regardless, we have covered it here on Book and Film Globe because it's still a substantial segment of the entertainment industry. And Paula Schaefer wrote a great piece about it. Hello, Paula. Hey, yeah, we we definitely had quite a week uh, with 17 shows being slaughtered in a day. That's all. It's like a mass grave burial. For sure, especially, especially with the CW where they don't ever cancel shows they canceled seven which is like most of their lineups 
Well, it's a sign that A, no one's watching them, and B, um, they they obviously have to try something new. So let's before we talk about what's going to be coming up in the fall, and will probably soon disappear without a trace. But before we talk about that, let's talk about what uh, got the axe. Seventeen shows. So what were the significant? Uh, mortalities i mean some of them were kind of like yeah whatever who even knew what that was but uh legacies on the cw was a surprise because that's a julie pleck show and generally her last couple shows vampire diaries the originals went for a lot longer than that and they have really diehard fan bases that expect those shows to get a nice tidy ending and legacies did not it left on a big cliffhanger. People were pretty upset about that. You know, all 300,000 viewers were sad. I wish I had 300,000 viewers or readers or whatever, but yes, that's not a lot for a TV show. Okay, so Legacy is legacy is not leaving a legacy. What else are we, we looking at? Another weird one was Magnum P.I. because mm-hmm. it's got steady ratings for CBS, which means, you know, maybe three, four million viewers an episode, which is in today's TV landscape, a lot-ish, you know, steady. And it's that CBS audience that will that, that sits comatose in front of the screen from 7 to 10 or 8 to 11 or whatever the time zone they're in and watches whatever uh, CBS serves up. Exactly. And then on Fox, it's not necessarily shocking, but they had a show that had 100% on Rotten Tomatoes pivoting. That's just a new sitcom, and they were like, nah. And, you know, like Seinfeld and Cheers were both really low rated when they started, too. But they weren't called Pivoting. Exactly. It's a terrible name for a show. That's that's where problem one probably happened. Pivoting. What's that? What is it? What is it? Is it about like a basketball player learning moves in the post? <laughs> no, it's about friends who come together when a friend dies. Oh. Something along those lines. And they pivot their lives. M- millennial big chill uh, play, basically. Exactly. Yeah, forget it. Forget pivoting. Pivoting no longer exists. And the people who created pivoting will be like, well, we created pivoting when they're trying to uh, sell a show a dozen years from now. Well, we, we, you remember pivoting? Everyone's like, no, I don't remember. I don't remember pivoting. <laughs> no, perhaps you should pivot away from using that as your selling point. <laughs> pivot away. So and the Magnum PI is an interesting point because, you know, that sort of reboot of the classic uh, uh you know, CBS crime show. It worked so well for Hawaii Five O. Yeah, and they did a lot of crossover between Magnum PI and Hawaii Five O. Apparently, like they really wanted both shows to happen. There was a crossover episode. I think there were a lot. The I think the new Magnum PI failed because there was a lack of mustache. Yes, the shorts were too long. Um, there were not enough women in bikinis. Probably. And there was no mustache. And no mustache. I would have, if I had been the head of programming, I would have mandated a, a big bushy mustache. That's literally why people liked the show. And also, um, you mentioned the piece that Blackish is no more. That was a very successful show for a number of years, but I guess it just, it, it kind of ran its course. It must have. It just kind of, boom, just gone. Like no fanfare, which that's kind of surprising because it had a lot of acclaim and it was on for a long time. But yeah, now it's just gone. All right. Well, that, uh, sometimes that just happens with TV. What's interesting, though, is that it's not like the networks aren't trying, you know, like they, they announced a huge slate of shows and you, you you cover that as well in your piece. Yeah. Yeah. They 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 have a lot of ideas. They're just throwing, you know, the spaghetti at the cabinet to see if it sticks. And it 
sounds kind of like a mixed bag. There's nothing that I saw was coming that I was like, oh, yes, I have to watch this. I, I would point out from the list you put, I, I would say two shows appear to have a chance to at least go multi-season. One is the um, the reboot of Quantum Leap. <laughs> I know you laugh, but it has a, you know, it's like, it's like time travel is popular. You know, that show timeless was on NBC and they had, you know, they canceled it and then fans petitioned to bring it back. And, you know, I feel like a a reboot of what I loved about the reboot of quantum leap though, is that they, they advertised it as having a uh, diverse and non-binary cast. (laughs) Which is why everybody was watching quantum leap in the first place. They really know what people are after. The original quantum leap had a very binary cast. Yes, very much so. Scott Bakula. <laughs> this one, this one has an Asian American protagonist, and uh, there's like a uh, his his uh, time traveling mentor is played by Ernie Hudson, the Black Ghostbuster, and uh, and then there's a, some non-binary scientist. Yeah, that that that's what is the most important thing, not character or story, just you know the non-binary part for NBC viewers specifically. Uh, yeah, that's what they're looking for. Okay, and so there was there was the Quantum Leap reboot. The other thing that I felt like had uh, a strong shot was the, uh, it's a CW joint, uh, the Gotham Knights, mm-hmm. which is an adaptation of a sort of a line of DC comics where Batman dies, and um, it's like kind of the Batman family, like Robin, Nightwing, Batgirl, I don't know, Bat Dog, Bat Cat. I'm not exactly sure uh, who else joined, you know, and they team up with like the sons and daughters of Batman's villains to like fight stuff. Yeah, it's like the Disney Descendants franchise, but with Batman. I would be surprised if that get can't get canceled, although the CW canceled Batwoman. Yeah, on a cliffhanger. So as as for the rest of it, the one thing you pointed out in your piece that was hilarious was that there are two separate shows. On network. One is on ABC, right? And where was the other one? They're both on ABC. Two shows on ABC, one starring Hillary Swank, where women are having like a, a life crisis and they try to get their act together while working for newspapers. Yep. Not one, but two. Two shows on the same network about the same thing. Newspapers. Newspapers. Yeah, very modern. I mean, newspapers do technically still exist. I have I see them sometimes if I'm at a coffee place or um, you know, there's sometimes some of my older neighbors have them on their on their porches. Um, but I mean, when was the last time you subscribed to a newspaper? My 87 year old father doesn't even get his newspaper anymore because he's like, nah, no need for that. And he doesn't even know how to use the Internet. That's how much newspaper is not a thing. And I'm a journalist. <laughs> my first job was at a newspaper. <laughs> Yeah, if anybody would be interested, it would be you. Like, oh, good. Yeah, I love, like, old movies about newspapers, you know, but it's like, really, <laughs> you're going to go work for an – I mean, they're, they're all, like, manned by these skeleton staffs, and it's like it's, it's like it's like um, all a bunch of cobbled-together wire service copy. I, a very, very strange, a very, very strange choice. But that just shows you, like, how um, shielded from reality uh, people who create TV shows are. Yes, it feels very much like, oh, oh, we need some shows about women. What if women are falling apart? What if they need to do something interesting? Newspapers. There's not even like, I mean, there's there are a lot of dumb shows about like women at magazines. Yes, yes, there are. <laughs> and CBS has a new one coming up with uh, Marsha Gay Harden that is, she's a lawyer whose life is falling apart. 
and her son, the private investigator, is going to help her. So we have lives falling apart. Right. Why are women's lives always falling apart? <laughs> there are no men with lives falling apart on this lineup. What, what's with that? You're just all way together. I don't know if your life is falling apart or not. I suspect to some extent. But <laughs> if it is, Paula, I suggest that you go get a job at a newspaper. I've already got the hat, Schmitty. <laughs> you know, you can work in the classifieds department. Maybe, maybe, maybe you could like be a, be a Miss Lonely Hearts for a newspaper. <laughs> yeah, that's my dream. All right. Well, uh, we have covered this. We have covered this topic that you know everyone's so busy writing about what what the next uh, thing on HBO or Netflix is. People are neglecting these little these little broadcast shows. And uh, but we we continue to cover them. I'm, I'm it's like an amusing side thing of like it's like a, it's almost at this point like we're covering radio drama. Yeah, yeah. Or we're talking about stories that we read in the newspaper. Exactly. So uh, we covered it this week on Book and Film Globe. Paula's here to talk about it. Thank you, Paula Shaver. We'll talk to you soon. I did it. I didn't ask you how you were. <laughs> Once upon a time, when a show was popular, you would reliably appear every September and run through May, and then it would go into reruns in the summer. And that's not the way things work with TV anymore. You can have two, three, four years between seasons of shows. No exception is Barry, which is currently airing its third season on HBO Max. HBO Max didn't even exist when Barry aired its first and second seasons. It was just plain HBO. But Barry is back, and people are talking about it. We have a great article about it this week by Matt Hansen, who joins me for the first time in a while uh, on the podcast. Hello, Matt. Hi, Neil. Hey, so you're you're obviously a fan of Barry. You were you were enthusiastically pitching season three to me, and but you seem to think that it's uh, it's taking kind of an an odd, darker tone this season. Yeah, I mean, Barry has uh, Bill Hader, obviously, is the star, and he's also writing and, and I think, co-directing. I think he's co-writing it and co-directing it. Um, so he's very much, you know, the, the the impetus behind the show, and I think he created the idea of the show. And Barry, uh, Bill Hader has, uh, if people aren't familiar, he was on SNL for a really long time, and he's um, kind of a sketch comic. I don't really think he did that much stand-up. And he has a very interesting screen presence. You know, he's he's not traditionally good looking. He's kind of I talk about in the in the review. Um, he's not really a, a punchline guy. He's not an over the top wild man. He has kind of a tweaky normalcy to him, uh, if you will. <laughs> he's skinny. He's got kind of a square head. He's got these piercing dark eyes. He's got this nasal voice that could kind of go either way. He either could be sort of an underdog hero. Or he could be the heavy in, in, in a certain sense. And so with Barry, I think at its best, the show really balances between those two poles where it's like, is this kind of a comedy or is this kind of a tragedy? Barry, the character, is a hitman who, who originally is from Cleveland, who I think is a reference. Bill Hader is a big Criterion Collection fan. He's a big classic film fan. Uh, I think there's a reference to the old uh, noir Blast of Silence in the fact that he's a hitman from Cleveland. 
Blast of Silence, honestly, is probably one of the most, like, depressing movies ever made <laughs> in the history of the world. There's just, like, no... I love it, but there's, like, no, like, redeeming characters or situations at all. So I think he's he's playing with noir tropes, right? And at the same time, he is kind of... He's known for being funny and having this kind of, you know, odd sense of humor. And so Barry, the character, Barry Berkman, he's a hitman from, from Cleveland. He discovered an un realized talent for killing people he's like really good at murder essentially he's we're not, he's not presented as somebody who's really macho or anything he's if anything he's really shy and he's introverted and he has this mysterious handler it's the only term really i could come up with it for what this character is named monroe fuchs played by the great stephen root he was on news radio he was on uh, the west wing he was in oh brother art thou stephen root has this wonderful way of having this kind of um, jolly sleaze to some of his characters. Where one of, our, one of our great character actors, really. Oh, no doubt. And and part of it is that he makes this character got, got this kind of jolliness and this sort of bonhomie. And yet at the same time, he's kind of Barry's manager. He's, a, he's his killing agent, basically. Yeah. So, so Barry is, is a contract killer, but, but he's living in Hollywood or he's doing a job in Hollywood and he uh, stumbles into an acting class and discovers another hidden talent, which is acting. Yeah, he becomes this sort of actor wannabe. He, through weird plot machinations, he winds up in this acting class and kind of befriends the people around him and finds an outlet for some kind of emotional expression that he doesn't really otherwise have. And it's a kind of an impl- I mentioned it in the piece that it's kind of an implausible plot arc, but somehow they pull it off. It kind of works. Part of the reason why that that premise works is because they don't take it that seriously because Barry's dark, he's troubled, but he's surrounded by these kind of goofy, wannabe L.A. actor types. And the acting coach who uh, is played in the show is played by Henry Winkler. And, you know, the show came out around the same time. I don't know if you're familiar with that Netflix show, The Kaminsky Method, but uh, Michael Douglas plays an acting coach. But that's really a show about being old. It's, It's another it's another acting acting coach uh, ah. and there's all these you know scenes of the wacky students you know interacting and doing improv and scenes and whatnot and barry has that as well but barry also has this kind of dark noir plot line sort of reminiscent of something you'd see in ozark yeah which i also wrote about recently it's it's that idea of sort of sunny normalcy colliding with the darker you know tortured kind of moral conscious of barry and also just the idea that there are some people out there who are just that ruthless and sleazy that they will you know destroy other people to get what they want not in hollywood though (laughs) yeah god forbid hollywood should have anyone there who's you know ruthless about careerism (laughs) and that's that's one of those fun little insights that barry has is that okay you got the show about this hitman it becomes an actor and you can understand that the underground world of hit mannery or whatever it is is dark and, and troubled and everyone's you know psychopaths but also it's that idea that there's people out there who really want to make it and really want to make it big and they want to you know um become superstars so i don't want to give away any, any real spoilers but did you some of them find out that barry is a murderer so we know the people around him don't know for sure and then little by little it starts to trickle in and Part of the reason why that trickles in is because of the other character that I think, other than Barry, I think the most inspired character is Noho Hank. Noho Hank is a Chechen mobster. Uh, I don't know if he's supposed to be 
from LA originally, or if he's like a Chechen immigrant or something, but regardless, he has gone a hundred percent groovy SoCal, you know, kind of flighty. Uh, he's worrying about people's personal development. He's like, str- he's very earnest and he's very kind of rah, rah. Um, he name drops Thomas Friedman, which I thought was a great little uh, point. He's kind of a pseudo intellectual in a certain sense. And he worries about management skills and people's, you know, personal growth. And he texts people cat memes uh, unironically. And so it's the idea that like Hank is always smiling and he's always kind of like, he's always very uh, positive. And yet at the same time, he is, you know, he's a criminal. He's involved in this, in this underworld fiasco with, with Barry as his sort of murderous pawn. And so that's where the two worlds start to collide. Noho Hank and the, the actor, I think it's Anthony Kerrigan plays him, uh, nails it. He, it's this, it's this wonderful balance between this psychopath. Who's also like shopping at Lululemon. Very LA. Well, that's the thing. Barry is one of those shows that like, it's a boutique show, right? It's HBO. Most people at the, when I go play poker, they're not talking about Barry at the card room. You know, they're, they're watching Yellowstone or, or, or whatever, but so it's like, a, it's kind of a, you know, a show for the elite, but it, it is a show that like it has its own thing going on. If sometimes these HBO, when HBO shows catch a wave, they really catch a wave. Definitely. And, you know, part of it is the underdog appeal of, of Bill Hader and, and coming up with this kind of interesting premise. He won an Emmy for playing Barry. And, and the look on his face at the ceremony was like, what, who, me? And there's something very charming about that. And so I feel like with the new season, the show's starting to break in a direction, and I'm not going to give away any spoilers, but it's starting to break in a direction that might start to sacrifice comedy for darkness, or at least like emphasize Barry's hidden uh, evil versus his desire to communicate and and befriend people and have some kind of worthwhile human interaction. I wonder. I wonder if that's a mistake. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I I'm I'm curious. I, I'm not a big fan of people who want the audience to dictate how the shows turn out. I really hate that. I feel like the the creator, the artist, the writers of the show should be the ones in control of what they're going to present. Yeah, obviously the, the show is going to do what it's going to do. But it is sometimes disappointing when there's a, there's such a big tonal change. Right. All right. Barry is airing on HBO Max now. Matt Hansen has a piece about Barry up on the site this week, and it's always a pleasure to talk to him. You got a lot of great insights about you watch TV more intelligently than the average viewer, Matt. That's what that's what I'll say about you. You, you give it a lot of thought. So uh, we will talk to you soon. Oh, thanks, Neil. I really appreciate that. Her name was Lola. She was a showgirl with yellow. All right, thanks, Matt Hansen. Barry is now streaming on HBO Max. Season three of Barry. After three years, season three is here. Four years from now, you'll see season four of Barry. Also, thanks to Paula Schaefer for talking to me about the broadcast TV network's futile efforts to find an audience and all the hilarious cancellations that occurred this season. And, of course, thanks to Stephen Garrett for chiming in from the Cannes Film Festival, where he is living a life of cinema and leisure while the rest of us toil here watching Netflix. I'm Neil Pollock. I'm the editor-in-chief of Book and Film Globe, www.bookandfilmglobe.com. We cover the worlds of books and film and streaming TV and so much more. Thanks so much for listening. I will talk at you soon. He called her over, but Rico went a bit too 
the punches flew And chairs were smashed in two There was blood and a single gunshot But just who shot who? Honestly, the worst French accent is a Canadian accent Because it sounds like a duck Like me, me quoi, me qu'est-ce que c'est que ça? At the Copa, Copa Cabana The hottest spot north of Havana Original production. Most podcasts are awful. Most news is noise. What you need in your ears is real news. Narrated. You need Audio Hopper. Human narrations of the most compelling news, culture, and entertainment stories. You choose the topics and the publications. Audio Hopper gives you a commercial-free straight read of the story. Read by real voice actors, not annoying computer voice simulators. Get a variety of points of view and real news. Audio Hopper. Real news narrated. In the App Store.